Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Halfway between San Francisco and Sacramento lies the town of Vallejo in Solano County. It's located along San Pablo Bay at the mouth of the Napa River and is home to the famous Marine Island Naval Shipyard, or Mincy. It was the first American naval base established on the Pacific Ocean and was closed in 1996, known for its theme parks and its majestic oceanarium. The former California state capital was usually peaceful and calm. Yet, since December 1999, residents of the city of Opportunities became weary following the kidnapping of a seven-year-old child named Sienna Fairchild. Several search parties were organized with the help of many volunteers, but their efforts yielded no results. It was unknown if the little girl, who mysteriously disappeared, was still alive or had been killed by her abductor. One thing was certain, the dangerous criminal responsible for the disappearance was still on the loose. Consequently, all the city's residents were terrified and did their best to protect their kids. In the Sanchez home of a Mexican family, it was common for them to discuss important subjects and events in front of their children. This allowed the children to give their opinions with complete confidence and to share their ideas with adults. It would help them to learn how to debate and to stimulate their analytical skills and their development. During these discussions, the mother, a hairdresser, and the father, who worked as a carpenter, took every opportunity to instruct and advise them so they could be prepared to face any kind of challenge. In fact, when little Sienna had been kidnapped, the mother, Suzanne, whose maiden name was Valesco, made it a point to gather her children in front of the television to see the photos of the kidnapped child and told them, You need to see this. Listen. If someone tries to take you away, wriggle, yell, shove, and basically just do whatever you can and whatever might help you escape. Understood? In addition, since two of her children went to the same school, Mrs. Sanchez decided that from then on, Mitzi, the little seven-year-old, would be accompanied by Ishmael, her nine-year-old brother. Whether it was to go to school or to come back home, it was always better to travel in pairs. Susanna also insisted that it was important to never speak to strangers and to stay far away from them. Also, it was important to walk down busy streets and never through empty alleyways or unsafe shortcuts. If only children paid more attention to their parents' orders, then there wouldn't be as many kidnapping victims. It seemed as if only the adults were able to grasp the gravity of the situation and sense imminent danger. Eight months had passed since the disappearance of the little fair child girl. The event was beginning to fade and slowly life started to return to normal in Vallejo. On a warm summer morning, Mitzi Sanchez awoke full of happiness, enthusiasm and energy. It was Thursday, August 10, 2000, on the day of her birthday. 
There was a big party that evening to celebrate her turning eight years old. When she went to the kitchen for breakfast, she saw everything her mother had brought. Pointy hats, candles, balloons, streamers, and other decorations stored in a corner waiting to be displayed. Susanna also planned to serve candies, marshmallows, chocolates, and appetizers. As for the presents, they were all well hidden upstairs and the birthday cake was to be homemade. Filled with excitement at the sight of all these wonderful presents, the little girl asked her mother, Mom, is it okay if I skip school today? Absolutely not, she replied. Don't even think about it, sweetie. Your teachers have told me that you need to get more involved at school and try twice as hard. If you miss your classes, you might never improve. Do you understand? But mama, it's not every day that I celebrate my birthday, replied the little girl. I want to help you with the preparations. Besides, I want to decorate the cake myself. Now, honey, said Susanna with a smile, you go and work hard at school and I promise that I will wait so that we can both do it together, okay? Yes, mom mumbled Mitzi as she lowered her head and crossed her arms disappointedly. After the school bus had left, Mrs. Sanchez was finally able to start preparing for the party she had planned for her darling little daughter. But first of all, the house needed to be straightened out. With a leaf blower in her hand, she began tidying the front of the house. Although she was absorbed in her task, she couldn't help but notice an unusual presence on the other side of the street. Who was the stranger with the big forehead and piercing eyes standing in front of her neighbor's house? He seemed upset and lost. Surely he must be waiting for someone. She was intrigued but didn't pay any more attention and went on with her preparations. For the little girl, the day seemed to drag on. She couldn't even concentrate in class because she was constantly looking at the clock hanging about the blackboard. To her, it seemed like the clock's hands were moving too slow and she couldn't wait to get back home to open her presents. As soon as the last bell of the school day rang, the little Sanchez girl was the first one out of the door. In the halls, Ishmael was hanging out and chatting with his friends. Mitzi was impatient to leave, and so she tried to hurry him. Oh, please, brother, hurry up. We're going to be late. Oh, you're really taking advantage, declared Ishmael. Just chill. You're the birthday girl, so we have to wait until you arrive, sis. Besides, I'm only going to be a minute, so be patient. Well, you can wait if you want to, but it will be without me. I'm out of here, she said as she laughed and ran for the door. No, you're not supposed to do that, Mitzi. Come back cried the little boy in vain as his little sister headed towards the main door of the Highland Primary School. When she arrived at the intersection of Sauter and Tennessee Street, just near the Valheo Holistic Health Center, she noticed a man, quietly sitting in his white Oldsmobile Firenza. As she approached, he spotted her in his rearview mirror. When their eyes met, Mitzi thought about the advice that her mother had given her earlier. She should cross the street and walk on the other side. For a split second, she thought about following her intuition, but she remained on the same side of the street. She was in such a hurry to get home that she went ahead and began to pick up her pace. When Mitzi was close enough, the man got out of his car with tinted windows. He was white, toothless, and was easy to spot with his thick mustache. He appeared ruffled and frumpy and seemed tall and very imposing. His very light blue killer eyes shone in a way that gave her goosebumps. As he advanced towards her, the little girl was gripped with fear. Her heart beated faster and her palms began to sweat, but she still tried to maintain her composure. Besides, she noticed that he limped with his left foot as he held his hip. He was probably harmless despite his unpleasant demeanor. Suddenly, the young man called out to her. Miss, as you can see, I fell off a bike and unfortunately I have broken my leg. Now I can't even bend over to pick up my things under the seat. I've lost my roller scotch tape under the seat in front just there. Would you be kind enough to help me get it back? 
Mitzi, who made the fatal mistake of stopping, hesitated for a moment before answering, despite the sense of foreboding that she was struck in her throat. She was a good girl and would never have refused to help a disabled person. She was naturally accommodating and helpful, so eventually she agreed to help. She could see the object. All she had to do was lean over to grab it after that. She could be on her way. But as soon as the child touched the tape, the temperamental predator rushed towards her and put all his weight on her frail and puny body in order to keep her still. Before she could scream, her aggressor's rough hands covered her mouth, and before she could fight back, she was thrown inside the vehicle. Mitzi's eyes were wide and full of tears. She didn't know what was happening. Why was this man after her? She didn't understand, but was very terrified. Wedged between the dashboard and the seat, he struggled to tie her ankles to the gear shift with a long metal chain and a big lock. At the moment, she realized that she was being kidnapped just like the girl on the news. Now she was the victim. She screamed, she screamed with all her might, just as her mother had instructed her to do. She hoped to get the attention of someone passing by in the hopes that they might come and rescue her. As she cried her eyes out, she begged her aggressor to set her free, but he didn't seem to care about her pleas. Instead, when he finished tying her up, he asked her, Do you have any brothers or sisters? In her childlike mind, she thought she should lie in order to protect her family. She really didn't want any of them to suffer the same fate. Thus, she replied quickly, No, I'm all alone. Despite the anxiety and the panic that she left, the confused child couldn't help but question her kidnapper. But why? Why are you doing this to me? Well, when I was little, someone did it to me too, he replied. The little eight-year-old girl could not process what he was saying. What did he mean? Just because someone hurt you when you were a child didn't give you the right to inflict the same torture on others. He offered his incredible statement as if it was a valid reason that justified what he was doing. The little girl was shaking like a leaf. Looking outside the window, she burst into tears when she saw her house. Balloons danced stuck in the garden shrubbery and the streamers were still on display covering the whole house. In the garden, the tables were all set and there was a wonderful buffet of pastries and sweets. It was all for her, but she might never go back home to enjoy her own party. As they got further away from the house, she got even sadder and her heart sank deeper and deeper. Turning back to her kidnapper, she began panicking and with desperation in her voice, cried out as loud as she could. Untie me! Let me go! I have to get back home! Please let me go! I won't say anything to anyone, I promise you! Please, I'm begging you! Shut up, you little crybaby! replied the angry assailant. You're not going anywhere, you brat! I want you to know that I have a gun and I won't hesitate to shoot you if you disobey me! Now, I don't want to hear another word, understood? Stop squirming for Christ's sake! Are you doing this on purpose? Little smartass! There, that's better. After putting a blanket on his hostage, the relentless predator continued driving confidently. He crossed the Mare Island Causeway Bridge, then stopped at a deserted field on Auto Route 37. Then he got out of the car, opened the trunk, took out some clothes and handed them to Mitzi, saying, Here, I'm going for a smoke. Change into these and hurry up. During this whole time, Mitzi Sanchez, who was living a horrific nightmare, wondered if her parents had noticed her absence and were out looking for her at this very minute. She thought of her 16-year-old half-brother David Velasso, her half-sister Monica, who was 14, her brother Ishmael, 10, and little Carla, who was only 2 years old. Was this despicable man planning on kidnapping them too? She prayed that wouldn't happen. The sun had started to set. Mitzi was cold and starving, but it was time to move. 
Immediately, the sadistic psychopath went back onto the Highway 37, then turned left onto Interstate 80 towards Sacramento. After a few hundred meters, he pulled into the Hunter's Hill rest stop. It was the perfect place to spend the night without being noticed. That was where the heartless pedophile inflicted the poor child with the most harrowing sexual abuse. How could a little girl her age could have tolerated such an ordeal? It was impossible to imagine, but Mitzi wasn't discouraged. If she didn't try something, she would probably kill once her torturer had quenched his sick desires. Yet she didn't want to die. So in her child's mind, she decided to stay strong and not succumb to her despair. The next morning, her aggressor circled the city of Vallejo for hours. He drove around aimlessly, sometimes stopping to buy cigarettes or even meet someone. Each time before getting out of the car, he would hide Mitzi under the seat, cover her, and reminded her that if she moved or made any sound, he wouldn't think twice about killing her. The intelligent girl rummaged around everywhere. She was looking for a metal object, something thin or sharp, to see through the chain or to pick the lock, but unfortunately she found nothing. When her kidnapper got back to the car, he showed her a picture of herself in a newspaper article about her disappearance and told her, Look, that's you. They're looking for you. Too bad they'll never find you. There's no way you'll survive, you should know that. I've taken over a dozen girls like you and none of them ever came back alive. Her suffering gave him a sick sense of pleasure. He really enjoyed watching this little innocent face overwhelmed with suffering. Her whine was like music to his ears. He loved watching her in agony that he even forced a poor little girl to drink alcohol. To make matters worse, he even deprived her of food and water. From then on, beer and wine would be her only sustenance. To mock her hunger, even more, he ate in front of her. Late in the afternoon, he was gone for a long time. In the meantime, Mitzi tried to find any tool that could free herself. To her delight, she found a nail file. Her hands trembled, but she tried nevertheless to grab one of the chain rings between her little fingers. Several times, she tried to push the blade into the link and to widen the opening, but she was unsuccessful. She tried over and over again until the nail file broke. The chain links were strong and resistant. She couldn't force them with such a thin blade. Distraught, she burst into tears, overcome by feelings of loneliness, abandonment, and weakness. She was completely exhausted and missed her parents terribly. At the Sanchez household, the entire family was grieving. On the previous evening, just after Ishmael returned home alone, Susanna started looking for her daughter. It was clear that something had happened to her. She would have not gone anywhere willingly because as everyone knew, she was in a hurry to get back home to celebrate her birthday. Less than an hour later, her completely panic-stricken parents called the local police who then mobilized their forces to investigate the mysterious disappearance. The residents of the coastal town had almost forgotten that Sienna Fairchild had never been found and now this new drama reminded them of all the earlier sad events and also reinforced their fears and sense of distrust. Family, friends and neighbors expressed their compassion and their support to the parents of the missing child. Dozens of volunteers showed up to help find Mitzi Sanchez. Among the teams, Mrs. Sanchez saw the strange man with the white forehead and terrifying stare who had been lurking around in the neighborhood in the night before. It was not a face that could be easily forgotten. She had no idea why she had such a strong dislike for this man. However, he had come to help with the search and it required as many people as possible. Therefore, any kind of help was welcomed. However, his presence disturbed her and now he was walking towards her. For some unknown reason, she felt ill at ease. Ma'am, my heart goes out to you, he said, greeting the sad woman, who looked at him with contempt. I know how hard it is to know that your child is in danger and to feel powerless. I'd really like to help you with the search and I know that we'll find her. I'm sure of it. Thank you for your kind words, sir, Susanna replied curtly. Her maternal instinct would turn out to be true. This man was completely despicable, but the poor mother was unaware that this obnoxious person 
was the very same man who kidnapped her little girl. He was there just to enjoy the fruits of his labor. He was there to watch these sad people and to savor his victory. But most of all, he was there to find out how the investigation was progressing. He gathered bits of information here and there. Apparently, there were no suspects at the moment and he felt relieved. Feeling reassured, he left to go back to his precious spray. Friday and Saturday nights were hellish for Mitzi. The unlucky girl had to endure the worst kind of sexual abuse imaginable. Nevertheless, the little Sanchez girl, with her slim figure and slicky appearance, was much stronger than she looked. In fact, despite lack of sleep and energy, she bravely withstood the heinous torment that this rabid monster cruelly inflicted upon her. Even a grown woman would have succumbed to his horrific torture. This was both touching and impressive to see how this courageous little girl clung stubbornly to life. At daybreak, the barbaric oppressor decided to leave town. He drove Mitzi to a municipality in the middle of Silicon Valley, about 100 kilometers from Valheo. On weekends, this area was deserted. Deadly afraid and extremely exhausted, the child was now desperate. She was convinced that he was finished with her and that he brought her to kill her and get rid of her body. Deep down, she believed that only she alone could put an end to this hellish ordeal and come out alive. While she was trying to come up with an answer, she remembered that her uncle had told her when he introduced her to Christ. He said that in the darkest times, it was important to beg for Jesus' mercy, and if a person had faith, then they would surely be saved. Then she put her hands together, closed her eyes, and for the whole trip, she prayed constantly for God to forgive her and for her sins, such as she ever annoyed her sister, or in this case, disobeyed her mother, for which she was praying dearly. Certainly, this cautious predator remained as discreet as possible, but he always had to reassure himself that he hadn't been exposed by the police. So he headed to a former workplace in the industrial area of Santa Clara between Laurel Wood Road and Edward Avenue, and he stopped to find out the latest news report on the case. He was friends with the factory security guard, and he had a TV in his monitoring station. Upon his arrival, he parked his white Forenza in the parking lot far away from the entrance to the plant and got out. Hastily, he put out a set of keys in the driver's side glove compartment, but he noticed that the young girl was watching him. Before hurrying off, he firmly ordered her, Don't touch this pouch. If you do, well, you know what will happen. So watch out. Mitzi Sanchez had just been given a golden opportunity. It was quite likely that among this set of keys was the one that would unlock the door. Quickly, she laid down on the seat and stretched until she was able to reach the glove compartment. When she picked up the set, instinctively she chose the smallest key. Without giving it much thought, she inserted it into the lock and turned it to the left. Much to her surprise, the lock opened. Apparently, her prayers had been heard. However, the poor little girl was so shaken up and terrified that she immediately closed it up again for fear that her torturer would find out. Yet, this was her one and only chance to escape from this nightmare. She knew that if she had to at any cost, if she wanted to remain alive, it was her last chance to escape. Consequently, she quickly changed her mind without hesitating. She broke free of her chains, gently opened the window, and jumped out of the car where she had been imprisoned for 48 hours straight without food or water. When she finally touched the ground, she collapsed. Her extremely weak bare feet could no longer carry her. Summoning all her courage, she got back up and ran as quickly as possible. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Possible. She had almost reached the main street where her aggressor's friend spotted a young girl. He immediately asked his friend to explain. For God's sake, Curtis, what is that? He asked in astonishment, pointing at the little girl who was running away. What have you done this time, you sick freak? What do you mean? He replied, looking in the direction that his friend indicated with his finger. When he finally understood what had happened, the predator now was worried. He flew into a rage and unconsciously, without thinking about the person standing next to him, began to chase the fleeing prey. From a distance, he yelled, Hey, no! Where do you think you're going? Get back right now! Come back, you little Mitzi! Mitzi did not stop. She fled frantically for the highway. However, she did let him know, with a note of her head, that she would never come back. Now that she had finally escaped the clutches of this inhumane tyrant, it was out of the question that she would ever return to that deadly hell. She ran faster and faster and crossed the road, but she could see him catching up to her. The devil was still on her tail. Her heart was racing. Petrified yet determined, she waved her hands desperately at every car that passed in hopes that one would stop for her. Unfortunately, in that secluded area, there was very little traffic. Two cars passed her as her aggressor drew closer. On her right, a truck was driving towards her. Desperately, she threw herself in front of the delivery van. The driver, Carl Toffa, abruptly slammed on the brakes. He had narrowly missed crushing her. Confused, Carl shouted to the little girl who was hanging onto his window. What's wrong with you, little girl? You're that close to getting run over. And what are you doing out here by the side of the road all alone? You're so pale, are you all right? She had not yet caught her breath. But she answered as she sobbed. I'm, I'm, I'm Mitzi Sanchez. I'm, I'm from Vallejo. That man over there, he's the one following me. He's the one who kidnapped me. Please, please help me. I'm begging you. Okay, okay, Carl reassured her. Calm down and breathe. You don't have to be afraid anymore. We'll get it all straightened out. I just need to get off the road and call the authorities right away. Come on, get in. In a flash, she quickly jumped into the semi-truck. Although he managed to comfort her, the truck driver was still unaware of the magnitude of the situation. He was still somewhat taken aback and undecided. The little girl seemed genuinely terrified, but she also smelled of alcohol. Who knew? Maybe she was a runaway. Yet on the other hand, the man she was referring to was watching him from a distance and did not come any closer or even say a word. 
Certainly, he was obviously suspicious, but he still thought it would be better to find if the young girl was telling the truth before he reacted. Getting on his CB radio, he called out to his fellow truckers and asked if an Amber Alert had been issued for the state of California recently. He immediately got an answer. User on the channel confirmed that a little 8-year-old girl had disappeared two days ago as she was returning home from school. Sure enough, this poor little girl really had been abducted, and since Thursday, she had been at the mercy of this bastard. Overcome by sorrow and grief, unconsciously his emotions poured out. Oh my god, he exclaimed. In the meantime, the man who would later be identified as Curtis Anderson sped off in his Oldsmobile. Wisely, Taffa had the good sense to take a note of his license number. A few minutes later, the truck driver took little Mitzi somewhere safe and notified the local police force since he was a father himself. He was deeply moved by what had happened to this brave little girl. She had withstood 48 hours of physical and psychological torture. What she was forced to endure was immediately obvious, yet she remained strong and courageous. As he watched the poor little thing trembling, he was reminded of his own daughter. He wasn't even supposed to be out on the road today. Yesterday, he had taken off to celebrate his daughter's birthday, of whom Mitzi reminded him. But instead of staying at home with nothing to do, he volunteered for a few hours over time and promised to go home early for the celebration. Fortunately, he was there in time to whisk this poor little girl away from her dreadful ordeal. He found himself at the right place at the right time. It was a true miracle. Immediately, the local authorities announced Mitzi's remarkable reappearance in an industrial area in Santa Clara. Quickly, the news of the kidnapper's child's daring escape spread throughout the state. Every citizen in Vallejo was relieved to find that the little Sanchez girl had been found. They were immensely relieved. Now, the only thing left was to arrest the fugitive. Using statements and descriptions provided by the eyewitness, the authorities were able to put a name to the suspect's face. The fugitive was a 39-year-old former taxi driver named Curtis Dean Anderson. This dangerous criminal was known to the legal system. In fact, he had been arrested twice by the police between 1979 and 1991 for various criminal offenses including drug trafficking, theft, carrying an illegal weapon, and several parole violations. In 1991, he had kidnapped a woman in Oregon and was only released from prison in November 1999. In other words, he was a long-time habitual criminal. In any case, it was lucky that this 8-year-old girl was found alive. In a press release, the spokesperson for the Santa Clara Police Department, Antoine Morex, stated, This little girl had great determination and a strong instinct for survival. She constantly tried to get away and never gave up. She was convinced that he was going to kill her, so when she had the opportunity, she dared to escape. It was very courageous of her to do so. Before she was sent home, the little survivor was initially taken to the hospital to be cared for and monitored. In cases like these, where kidnapping and sexual abuses are involved, doctors perform tests and analysis to gather all necessary evidence to charge the criminal. In the first 24 hours after a sexual assault, it was easier to collect the accused's DNA from the victim's body. After time, traces of the assault usually begin to fade away. Fortunately, the Sutter Solano Medical Center Mitzi reported to was positive. Biological samples were successfully taken and the little girl was declared to be relatively in good physical condition despite everything the pedophile had forced her to endure. After spending several hours under medical observation, the traumatized little girl was still not given permission to go back home. As per standard procedure, it was imperative that Mitzi Sanchez make her deposition that same day given that the perpetrator was still in flight and would probably strike again. Any information could prove to be very useful to help capture this merciless monster. Consequently, she was taken to the police headquarters where she answered the investigator's question to the best of her ability. When she was finished with her testimony, the little girl was exhausted but unfortunately, the matter was far from over. She had to accompany the police to each of the places that her abductor had taken so that they could be placed under surveillance. 
Finally, in the early evening, Mitzi threw herself into her father's arms when he came to pick her up and take her back to her family. It was the evening of August 12, 2000. Thousands of people gathered in front of the Sanchez's house to wait for the little girl and her father so they could commend her for her bravery and praise her remarkable intelligence. They all wanted to show her their admiration and warmly congratulated her. The whole neighborhood had put up decorations around the house. There was a horde of dolls, stuffed animals, toys, bouquet of flowers, and other pretty presents falling up along the garden, under the porch, and even in the doorway to the house. There were banners along the street offering their best wishes and highest accolades. Balloons of every color flitted her and there about the branches. The joyful decorations covered most of the foliage and blended in superbly with the house's natural surroundings. For more than an hour, everyone waited for the star of the glorious celebration to arrive. It was 8.42 p.m. A neighbor who had been keeping an eye out for Mr. Sanchez's car suddenly cried out, They're here! They've arrived! As the car came closer, everyone rushed to welcome and greet the savior. Thunderous applause and whistles as well as several bravos erupted intermittently from both sides of the street all the way back to the house. The fellow citizens who were there that day were so happy to see them return safe and sound that tears filled their eyes. Just when the father and daughter appeared, the whole crowd began singing in unison, Happy birthday, Mitzi! Happy birthday, Mitzi! Happy birthday! Clinging to her father's neck, the star of the hour, who had missed her eighth birthday celebration, burst into sobs. Moved by the warm welcome of the whole neighborhood, her father, Juan Carlos Sanchez, also broke down and cried. Her mother, also overcome with emotion, was proud of her extraordinary daughter who managed to outsmart her torturer. Through her sobs, she said, My daughter is a real heroine. She was able to outfox her kidnapper and get away just in time. When I saw her at the hospital, I was shocked. I felt such a mixture of emotions that I laughed and cried at the same time today. Today is definitely the best day of my life. When the federal agent showed the photo of the suspect to the parents, Suzanne Velasco instantly recognized him. She told him, I remember him very well. He looked like he wasn't from around here and I saw him twice in the neighborhood. He even came to our house and offered to help us with the search. It all struck a chord with me when the police showed us his photo. I'm sure that's him, the one responsible. Among all those present at this spectacular celebration, there is someone who is especially happy about Mitzi's return. Over the last 24 hours, she shared in the Sanchez's family's anguish and anxiety. The woman named Stephanie Kalakulu was the great aunt of Sienna Fairchild, the little seven-year-old girl who disappeared in Valleo in December 1999. She sincerely wept for their pain since she herself had lived through the same kind of unending ordeal for the past eight months. However, once she saw that a child could survive an abduction gave her her new hope of finding her grandniece unharmed. Stephanie had raised Sienna for most of her life. After the young girl had gone missing, Stephanie left her home in Colorado and moved to the area where she relentlessly tracked every possible clue, helped to open four research centers with many volunteers, organized fundraisers, and led search parties. That very evening, Curtis Anderson showed up in a trailer park in San Jose a place that he often visited and one of the areas under surveillance. As he headed to his car parked near the exit, law enforcement arrested him without incident. He was charged with kidnapping, rape, and assault on a minor. After a trial that lasted about a year, Judge Allen P. Carter sentenced the accused to 251 years in prison without the possibility of a parole. At the state prison in Corcoran, in Solano County, Anderson told an inmate by the name of Luis Olivares, who was actually a police informant, that he was capable of doing worse than what he had already been accused of. 
In fact, he had a habit of stalking school children from Vallejo and this wasn't the first time that he had kidnapped someone. There had been many other young girls that he had abducted and sexually assaulted. Without the slightest bit of remorse, he claimed that he had drugged eight little girls before indulging in his sexual desires, after which he strangled them to death and then decapitated them. The reason he hadn't been captured before was because he was always careful to get rid of their bodies. This time he made the mistake of leaving his set of keys in the car and now this was the result. Curtis called Sienna Fairchild, his previous victim, very well. He had worked with her mother's boyfriend, a man named Robert Turnbaugh. When Curtis was a nighttime taxi driver with City Cab, Robert was also working there as a mechanic. That was how he came to know the pretty little girl. One morning in December, he picked her up near her school bus stop in Georgia Street in downtown Vallejo and held her captive for two weeks in a boarding house in San Jose. And with incredible arrogance, he bragged with Oliveres of having filmed his sexual assault and murder of the girl. He described the appalling murder to his fellow inmates and said, I wanted to watch her die as I was raping her. Then I strangled her right in the middle of having sex. After that, I cut off her head with a large knife. Oh yeah, it wasn't easy. No, not at all. At first, I thought it would be simple to decapitate her because she was a seven-year-old and had a small neck. But goddammit, it was much harder than I thought. Later, the pedophile recounted the same story not only to the reporters but also to the federal agents. He had even sent them on a wild goose chase to find the body or at least what remained of it. Furthermore, when Stephanie had the chance to confront this serial predator, he changed his story. During the face-to-face -face meeting, the diabolical criminal claimed that he had given Sienna to someone else and that she was still alive. Anderson's fraudulent story gave Stephanie false hope and misled her. She also desperately wanted to believe that she would also be able to see her grandniece again, that she had even planned to start a nationwide search. On January 19, 2001, a gruesome discovery made by a truck driver put an end to all her hopes. In the Santa Cruz Mountains in Los Gatos, a construction worker stopped suddenly to move what he thought was a small boulder from the middle of a narrow country road in Soda Springs. It was only when he went to pick it up that he realized it was part of a human skull. Immediately, he brought it to the sheriff's office in Santa Clara County and it was sent to the coroner. Dr. Gregory Schmunks in order to establish the victim's genetic profile, but this piece of the brain was insufficient. A team of scientists was then sent to the location in search of other bone fragments to be found in the area in question. Sure enough, the search yielded two pieces of the victim's jaw. During the analysis of the human remains, Dr. Schmuck confirmed that the skull tissue samples contained the same DNA as that provided by the FBI and had been previously taken from Zianna's toothbrush. Also, the forensic dentist compared the skull's teeth with the little girl's most recent dental x-rays and certified that they were identical. Following these revelations, Robert Nicolini, the Vallejo chief of police, announced there is no longer any doubt the skull that was found does indeed belong to Zianna. This is not just a simple case of a missing girl anymore. It's much more serious. Consequently, Curtis Dean Anderson pleaded guilty. On the basis of his confession, Judge Ron Del Pozo sentenced him to an additional 51 years for the kidnapping and murder of Sienna Fairchild. After his sentencing, Anderson was locked away in a 6 feet 9 foot long and 7.5 feet high seal in San Quentin Prison in California located in Marine County. It was a relatively fair sentence for the sinister, arrogant, and irredeemable criminal. In front of the research center that Stephanie led, volunteers, family, and friends had gathered to commemorate the death of Sienna Fairchild. Everyone was deeply affected by the news of her death. People arrived by the hundreds and placed flowers, pictures, and yellow and purple candles on the pavement. Mitzi Sanchez, who had become friends with her aunt Stephanie, was also there. She wore a t-shirt with a photo bearing the image of her now-deceased fellow citizen. 
Mitzi was very supportive. She was certainly the only person there who could imagine the nightmare that Zianna must have experienced before she succumbed. In the grip of her torturer, she was certain that she would have suffered the same fate. Now she was taking part in the unfortunate outcome of a story quite similar to her own. She was now even more convinced that if she had not gotten away then, she too would be dead. Thankfully, she was able to escape from him for good. Among her friends and loved ones, the little girl felt safe and believed that she had forgotten all about this monster who had destroyed her childhood and her innocence. Quickly, she started going back to school and began new extracurricular activities in order to fill her free time as much as she could. As a result, she first joined the wrestling team, then she played some football, then took on boxing and eventually karate. Unfortunately, she was forced to give up the sport after she tore a ligament in her knee. After that, the popular and extroverted little girl that she was started to change dramatically. The poor young girl had to overcome a great many painful challenges for someone her age. In her school, Mitzi Sanchez's grades began to fall. She often engaged in fights and rarely paid attention in class. She began to have suicidal thoughts and wanted to give up her education. Despite psychological monitoring and extensive therapy, Mitzi's condition worsened with each passing day. Essentially, she was unable to repair the damage that this devastating experience had caused her. As a teenager, she sank into alcohol and drug addiction, slowly distancing herself from her family to close in on herself. Recklessly and foolhardy, the young girl was frequently in trouble with the police. She admitted, I was a bad girl, so terrible with my parents. I was also a bad person in society, an uncontrollable teenage rebel. She now never stops to consider the risks before she acted or reacted. She was constantly trying to put herself in danger. As a result of her carelessness, she got into a serious car accident when she was 16 years old. For better or for worse, this incident allowed her to think about her self-destructing attitude. She eventually understood that her irresponsible behavior had dire consequences. Now, it was possible that she might be paralyzed forever. Suddenly, this new emotional shock helped her get back to her senses. Yet, she was still a person who did not give up easily and who clung stubbornly to life. It was absolutely unacceptable for her to remain confined to a wheelchair for the rest of her life. Despite the dismal medical prognosis, the doctors gave her mother, Mitzi Sanchez, got back on her feet so much sooner than she expected. Later, she became pregnant. The succession of these two events had a positive impact on the future mother. She regained her control of her life. Now she would be responsible for the safety of her own child. Today, Mitzi Sanchez is a woman who has settled down. She is always smiling and self-confident. Since her daughter was born, things have continued to improve for her. She had even forgiven her aggressor, who died in prison in 2007 in the presence of a group of women from her church. She held various positions including Vice President of Funeral Services for Sir Winston Financial Center in the Vallejo, and since 2018, she had led a foundation named after her. The foundation focuses on raising awareness about child safety and supplying families of kidnapping victims with the support and solidarity that they need. Currently, she is working on a smartphone application that can be downloaded from iTunes or the Play Store for Android. Called Polly's Guardian Angel, the app helps to monitor kids at any time of the day. In the event of a kidnapping, an alert system is triggered advising everyone who has the safety app on their phone and who lives within a radius of 8 kilometers of the disappearance. Upon hearing the signal, they only need to follow the chronological instructions which will allow them to find the kidnapped person as soon as possible. Finally, Mitzi found her calling which in turn has helped her to overcome her own trauma, one which probably leave a deep wound in her soul. I don't think that I'll ever fully recover one day, she explained. But now, I can talk about it without crying. That's the strength that I want to share with others. When the family of a missing child sees me, it reignites their sense of hope and restores their faith. We're at the end of our show for today. 
So feel free to listen to the other shows on the podcast and take five seconds to leave us a five-star rating on iTunes. It's really important to us. You can also subscribe to the next episodes and follow us on Facebook to suggest new ones. Thank you and see you soon. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.